Okay, morning. Today's reading is from Luke 17, verses 11 to 19, and it's on page 1051. And that's Luke 17, 11 to 19, page 1051. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. <clears throat> when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten men cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Thank you musicians and thank you Gifty. Let's pray together as we start and do keep open that passage in front of you. Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And we pray this morning, our Heavenly Father, that we would encounter the Son of Man in his majesty, but also his saving mercy. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith is at the heart and soul of Christianity, but most people assume that faith is faith, is faith, that all faith is of the same kind. But our passage in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19, challenges that assumption for us. It teaches us that not all faith is of the same kind, that there is a faith that saves a person, a saving faith, but there is also a kind of faith that does not save a superficial faith. This passage illustrates for us an element of Jesus' great parable of the sower, one soil in particular, the rocky soil. When the seed fell on the soil, it grew up but withered because there was no moisture. Or as Jesus explains, those on the rocky ground receive the word with joy but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. And it is for this reason that some people have called this kind of faith temporary faith. But that label, temporary faith, might mislead us, actually, because temporary faith is not true faith that doesn't last. It's a different kind of faith altogether. As our passage will show, It is a faith which is superficial. But before we notice the difference between these two kinds, between superficial and saving faith, let's notice, first of all, the divine power and pity of our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we resume our studies in Luke's Gospel, we join Jesus on the last leg of his route to Jerusalem. He's going there to die. 
And in this last leg of the journey, Jesus, Jesus teaches that he dies to save those whom we wouldn't expect. Or, to put it differently, we learn the kind of people that Jesus has come to die for and to save. And by Jesus' reputation, we might just assume that these ten lepers, all of them, are just the sort that Jesus has come for. Verse 12, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They ask Jesus for pity, and Jesus shows them pity. So verse 14, when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests, which was a necessary step for their healing to be recognized and accepted. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now notice the divine power of Jesus here. To cleanse one person from leprosy, but he cleanses ten people from leprosy, and simultaneously. And notice how he does it. There's no fanfare, there's no hullabaloo, no elaborate ritual, no incantations or invocations or extended intercessions. Go, he says, and as they went, the text says, they were cleansed. Now, in passing, just a note uh, that not once do the Jewish people or their leaders deny the miracle working power of Jesus Christ. Never. They couldn't. There was just no way they could do it, you see. By the time that Jesus had arrived in Jerusalem, there were just too many who had either witnessed it or had personally experienced healing themselves. So they couldn't deny it. It was an established and undeniable fact. Let's just remember that. But to further just help us to marvel this morning at our Lord Jesus Christ's power, together with his astonishing pity for these poor people, it, it helps us to understand, I think, something of what leprosy actually meant or means today, as well as what it is that this was the serious kind of leprosy, what today we call Hansen's disease, and not a more minor skin disease, I think is indicated by the fact that the men stood at a distance from Jesus. And they needed to literally, it doesn't say they spoke in a loud voice, but they needed to raise their voices to be heard. That's what it literally said. It also explains why this group of ten is most likely a mixture of Jews and Samaritans. Because Jews and Samaritans despise one another. I won't go into the history of it, but the, the, the disease was so horrific that the only way in which they were going to be brought together, Jews and Samaritans, is if they needed to mutually support one another, which is what is happening. And it was horrific. Uh, lepers were to be avoided at all costs because leprosy was contagious and because lepers were considered to be under God's judgment. The priests acted as a modern-day health inspector who identified and isolated the unfortunate enough to become infected. Think lockdown times 100. It was the worst. It was the absolute worst. 
You couldn't have contact with your friends. You couldn't see your family. You weren't allowed to attend the synagogue. You were basically left to die in the company of those who shared the same dreadful fate. No family, no job, no friends, no worship, no hope. Leprosy begins with a a small pinkish-white patch of skin on the face and spreads rapidly in all directions until you eventually lose feeling in body and limb. Tumorous swellings emerge. The internal organs are affected. Fingers and toes can literally be absorbed into the body. And without feeling, the leper doesn't notice that he or she is beginning to destroy their own body. Leprosy can cause blindness, the teeth to drop out, and it also affects the larynx, leaving you with a weak and raspy voice. It is significant that the lepers stay at a distance and strain to raise their voices so that they might be heard by Jesus. Now, thank God that back in 1982, a cure was uh, discovered. There are still around 200,000 people uh, reported each year across the world who have contracted leprosy. And uh, there are organizations like Leprosy Mission working uh, to eradicate it. They're aimed to do so by 2035. But it is just an horrific and horrible disease. So it is little wonder that when Jesus enters their village, they cry out to him for pity. And Jesus is moved. He has compassion. And not just on the one whom he knew would come back to thank him, but on all of them, all ten. With a word, he sends them on their way, and to their delight, they discover that they have been cleansed by him. It is astonishing. And that's the first thing I want us to notice about this account. It is an amazing account of divine miracle and mercy, of power and pity. And it was shown to all ten of these men. Jesus does the same today, exercising sovereign grace and goodness, sending the rain and sometimes the sunshine on all people, Christian or not. I wonder how many would would say that they rarely pray, but that in a time of crisis they called out and the Lord graciously heard them during exams, a medical emergency, or a family crisis. Maybe you relate to that. But shockingly, what the story implies is that the vast majority, nine out of ten, do not return to glorify God as God or to give thanks to him. That nine of the ten who experience Christ's miracle working power that day will not be found in heaven. Why? Because only one of them had saving faith. So first, I want us to notice the divine power and pity of our master. But secondly, notice the difference between superficial and the saving faith of the men. Now, even the structure of this uh, story encourages us to compare the nine with the one. 
It splits into two parts. You've got 11 to 14, and then you've got 15 to 19. Let me just run through it quickly. So in part one, verses 11 to 14, what happens? 10 come to Jesus. 10 keep their distance from Jesus. 10 cry out for pity from Jesus. 10 are sent by Jesus, and 10 are cleansed by Jesus. Now notice the comparison, verses 15 to 19. One comes to Jesus. One comes close to Jesus. The distance is closed. One cries out in praise to Jesus. One is sent by Jesus. And one is saved by Jesus. So even Luke The way in which he structures the story, he's inviting us to compare the ten, the nine who had superficial faith with the one who had saving faith. Now, Jesus expresses his displeasure at the nine who did not return to him. And he he asked three questions, verse 17. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? But only to the one who returns does Jesus say, verse 19, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now, the the phrase there, made you well, uh, is the word sozo in the original. And it can mean healed, or it can mean made you well, but its usual meaning, and I think the meaning it should take here, is the meaning of saved. Your faith has saved you. Well, I want to be as practical and helpful as I can this morning and help us to distinguish these two kinds of faith, the superficial and the saving. Now, of course, the way somebody exercises faith is one element by which we can distinguish whether somebody is a true or a false believer. We also need to look at things like someone's attitude to to their own sin and also their attitude to holiness. But today we're going to restrict ourselves just to thinking about faith because that's what the passage before us does. And as we compare them, I ask that the Holy Spirit would give grace to every single one of us this morning, including myself, so that we might reflect upon our own position before the Lord. Perhaps it's been a long time since we've done that. Maybe we've never really done that. But we need to dare to do that as people who will one day stand before an omniscient God. Let me say there is nothing to fear in doing this. Because if this morning we discover that we are deceived about our state before God, then we can do something about it. But if we discover later, it may well be too late and we would have lost the chance. So there's nothing to fear. So let's compare. To start then, the kind of faith that is superficial and not saving. Now, it's clear 
that all ten men have at least some kind of faith because they honor Jesus with the title Master. Well, not all who show respect for Christ are the true children of God or bride of Christ. Now, adds to the fact that they call upon Jesus for help. They'd heard of his reputation and believed that he was able and hopefully willing to help them. So this faith has knowledge. It's possible to be able to articulate and to discuss Christian faith and not have saving faith. And we know that they're calling him master and asking for help came from a sincere heart. They weren't mocking him. And how do we know that? Because they obey his voice. They obey as soon as Christ sends them to the priests. And they do so without hesitation or complaint. Without some kind of faith, they would never have listened to the word of Jesus. And yet even this is not a guarantee of saving faith. And what is more, they apparently receive a remarkable and life-changing miracle from Jesus. But even a healing as great as these men receive does not imply necessarily that they have God's saving favor. No doubt as they went on their way, they were filled with joy as they realized that they were clean, that they were free from disease, and that they could have relationship again with their friends and family, colleagues, and the synagogue. Joy over receiving Christ's blessings is also no certain sign of saving faith. See, for all of these things, if we witness them today... If we met somebody who reveres Christ, who calls for Christ to help them, who obeys the word of Christ, who receives and rejoices over a life-changing miracle from Christ, I suspect there will be barely one in a thousand who would be bold enough to question whether or not they were truly saved. And yet, according to Jesus Christ here, their faith was superficial. And it's understandable and obvious that this fact should alarm each one of us and send each one of us to search and to find out about ourselves. Because Christ only commends one of the ten. I wonder how many who attend churches today have saving faith. How many who attend this church... Well, not just one in ten, surely. But let's just suppose it's nine in ten who have true saving faith. Well, that would mean statistically there would be 15, 16, 17 of us here today whose faith is superficial. Now, in case you're thinking to yourself, well, Kevin's just taking things too far here. And you're, you're thinking, well, I'm baptized. I partake of the Lord's table. And I'm a serving member. 
Well, remember, Simon the sorcerer was baptized. The guests who, uh, without the wedding garment, sat at the table, and half of the virgins invited to serve at the wedding were left outside. Neither baptism nor the table nor service is a guarantee of salvation. You are at this moment either a person with saving faith or a person without it. There's no third option. There's no neutral place. Search yourself. Don't be content to say that you're a believer because you've cried out Lord at one point, cried out for help in a crisis, or even that you've experienced great miracles, or even that you can look back and see that there have been some occasions where you've obeyed the word of Jesus. Because these things, according to this story, are insufficient signs of salvation. Now, at first, the faith of the nine looks genuine, but their faith is rootless and superficial, and it doesn't save them. It was the kind of faith that springs up quickly in the hour of need, rejoices at blessing, and then withers away. It was the kind of faith that gladly receives Christ's blessings and gifts, but does not return to the giver. To distill all this, the lesson of the nine is that many thousands who have a kind of faith will not enter heaven. But the lesson of the one, however, is that many will enter heaven who fear that they will not and will be lost. So having first seen superficial faith, let's turn now to look at saving faith. That day, ten received new bodies, but apparently only one received a new body as well as a new heart. Just one of these lepers found that his heart had been melted by the grace of Jesus. Just one of them realized that they needed something more than their health, that they needed Jesus Christ. And that is what distinguishes the one from the rest. They all call Jesus master, they all call for help, they all obey his voice. But the Lord put it in one heart to do something more, to return to Christ. And he does three things when he does return. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. So first he praises God. Anyone can sing a worship song, but Christ's word proves that this was an overflow of his heart. By the way, notice that here, when Luke tells us that he praises in a loud voice, is that, that is what it says here. No longer is his larynx leprous. He praises. Secondly, he worships. He throws himself at Jesus' feet, no longer at a distance from Christ, no longer merely honoring him as a master, but worshipping him as God in the flesh. Praise, worship, and thirdly, thanked. He thanked Jesus. See, when the nine got what they wanted, they happily walked away. 
They went back to businesses, to families, to pleasure, to joy, full of joy, full of thanks. They had what they wanted and they had no further interest in Jesus Christ. But a lone leper returns to the giver, to the source of blessing. See, the sum of these things, praise, worship and thanks, according to our Lord Jesus Christ, in this man's case, they show saving faith. It's not the external acts in themselves. What Jesus sees in this man is that his heart has been changed. Through this account, Jesus is not saying you need to be more grateful to God or else. Salvation by gratefulness. That's not what's being said. It is teaching what saving faith does to the heart. A superficial faith may look very similar to a saving faith. But ultimately, it is this vital element of heart transformation that makes the difference. The great surprise of the story, did you get it? Is the identity of the one who returns. He is a Samaritan, a foreigner. To the Jews, he was a despised outsider. Jesus is warning every insider that being on the inside is no sure sign of saving faith. At the same time, He is encouraging everyone who might feel they are on the outside, like this despised Samaritan, that salvation is open to them. That Jesus has come for them, for you. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You don't need to tell me. God is asking you this morning, what kind of faith do you have? Is it possible that you may have been deceived? Is it possible that you thought you had saving faith, but perhaps you're not sure? Have we presumed because we call Jesus Savior and can explain and discuss the Christian faith, even accurately, even eloquently, But it's never been a heart thing. Have we presumed because we've prayed even earnestly multiple times at length? Perhaps trouble has driven us to pray on many occasions. That is no bad thing. I would encourage you to do that. But has trouble driven us to salvation? Have we presumed because we've received answers to prayer, even miraculous answers and healings even, like these ten lepers. But have we been content with the gifts without a heart relationship to the giver? In other words, have we returned to Christ personally? Have we come close to him? Do we have a relationship with him? A relationship where he is not only saviour but lord. A relationship that is wholehearted and unreserved. Not perfect, but wholehearted. Do we praise him from the heart, worship him, thank him? Does that, even to a little bit, describe your faith? God knows. 
Do you? Return to Christ. If he showed pity on those whom he knew wouldn't return, well, he will certainly show pity on every single person who comes to him. And he will save you for all eternity. These ten men's men are representatives of all people, perhaps churchgoers especially. The vast majority content to take the gifts and forget the giver. These people receive many blessings from Christ. As they walk away from Christ, you might overhear them saying, thank you God for my health, thank you for my children, thank you for my job, thank you for my home. But Jesus diagnoses that that is superficial faith and they will walk away into eternal hell. But there are also a minority, and pray God, not a minority among us here this morning, who also receive the blessings of Christ, but who come back to Christ in praise and in worship and in thanksgiving of him. Well, says Jesus, these ones have saving faith, a real relationship with Christ, and an eternity to look forward to. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we recognize once more your divine power, and we stand amazed at your compassion and pity for us, your needy creatures. Help us to recognize our deepest need and know that it is found only in you. We praise, we worship, and we thank you for the precious gift of saving faith. And we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.